Doesn't look like there's going to be a huge gain uh, for the Hang Seng at the open, maybe about half a percent. In the commodities markets uh, right now, Brent crude oil this morning trading at $51.13 a barrel. Gold's also advancing. It's at $1,639 an ounce. And not much movement in the currency markets this morning. The Japanese yen at 107.5 against the US dollar. We'll have more business news and market updates tomorrow morning in Money Talk from 8 o'clock. Back chat's coming up after the 8.30 news and the weather forecast for today, mainly cloudy with one or two rain patches. Cool in the morning, maximum temperature is going to be about 20 degrees today and it's going to remain cool with one or two rain patches tomorrow and then warm during the day with coastal fog in the morning at night in the following couple of days. It's 17 degrees right now and it's 93% relative humidity. It's coming up to 8.31. Here's Samantha Butler with the Half Hour News. The government is being urged to review laws relating to the recognition of same-sex couples. Yesterday, the High Court ruled it was wrong for the Housing Authority to reject a public housing application from such a couple. It follows previous cases where courts ruled that a same-sex couple could jointly file a tax return and have a dependence visa and other fringe benefits accorded to married heterosexual couples. Professor Shunyu Tung, the founding director of the Chinese University's Sexualities Research Programme, said it would be a waste of public resources if the government tried to appeal yesterday's ruling. There are already two more judicial review cases in relation to LGBT plus people's access to public housing in Hong Kong. One was launched in September last year, the other one launched in November last year in relation to a same-sex couple's right to live in a housing authority and other scheme, the home ownership scheme, and then the other one about inheritance of housing. So if the government does not take a proactive approach in reviewing all the laws, that affect same-sex couples' relationship recognition. They're going to be bound to be more judicial review cases. Italy is shutting all its schools and universities until the middle of the month to try to limit the spread of the coronavirus. Authorities announced 28 people died in the past day, taking the total to 107. This teacher at a school in Rome and the parent of a pupil there gave their reaction. It's a problem because we have to stop the exams, we have to stop almost all the um, activities uh, in the classroom. Uh, Maybe we can do something from, from home, but it's not the same, of course. It's not a question of panicking, but taking the necessary measures to avoid the virus spread out. The billionaire U.S. businessman Michael Bloomberg has thrown his weight behind the former Vice President Joe Biden after a disastrous performance in the Democrats' Super Tuesday primaries. Mr. Bloomberg poured about half a billion dollars of his own money into the campaign. Here's the BBC's Nada Torfik. Three months after declaring his candidacy, the former New York mayor has bowed out of the race. After a crushing defeat on Super Tuesday, he told supporters that he was clear-eyed about his overwhelming objective, beating Donald Trump. He called it the most important political fight of his life and urged the crowd to support Joe Biden. Mr. Bloomberg spent half a billion dollars on his campaign, but his only victory was in the tiny territory of American Samoa. Money didn't secure him the nomination, but he plans to spend Plenty more to help Democrats defeat President Trump. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Bank Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today, Jim Gould. Jim, good morning to you. Good morning. 
We're talking today about the government's chartered flights from Wuhan to Hong Kong. 244 people arrived yesterday and been taken to Fotan for two weeks quarantine. More than 500 evacuees have registered to take the flights. They'll be housed in the quarantine centres. More flights are planned for today. What do you make of this arrangement? Do you think it comes a little too late? What about the thousands who remain? We had another two cases announced here locally, uh, but they were linked to known cases. What do you make of that? How well do you think the government has been doing in handling the crisis? especially compared to other places. Let us know your thoughts, your questions and comments. You can comment on our Facebook page, Backchat and RTHK Radio 3, or best of all, give us a call, 233-88266. If you can't do that, you can email backchat at rthk.hk. After 9.15, we're also going to be talking about the results of the Super Tuesday voting in the United States. And we've also got a nice little uh, email exchange between Matthew and uh, Andrew F., a couple of our regular correspondents, which we'll get to later as well. Joining us for the first part of the programme today, we have with us now Benjamin Cowling, Professor, Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the University of Hong Kong, and Dr Kwok Karki, who's a civic party lawmaker, other joining, others joining us in the course of the programme. Just before we uh, get to today's uh, topic, here's uh, an email relating to uh, yesterday's discussion about uh, policing that uh, weren't able to... To air. Okay, this is from Andrew, who says, uh, Dear Backchat, 90% of Hong Kong adults need unprofessional policing on August the 31st and July the 21st, among many other captured improper policing incidents investigated. It's as simple as that. In most first world places, based on rule of law, this would be a given. Instead, we get provocative arrests two days before the six-month anniversary of August the 31st, police barbarity. No surprises then that protesters came out as police-Beijing liaison office knew they surely would after the arrests. As expected, illegal assembly and obstruction arrests were made, no doubt to be followed up with charges to eliminate the chance of these folk protesting again. It's all predictable stuff that will go on at every anniversary that those now in charge of Hong Kong refuse to bother to investigate. It's how all dictatorships are run. All predictable police state stuff, not serving those paying the salaries. That comes from Andrew. Once again, our email backchat at rthk.hk. I'm sure we'll have uh, a lot more emails later on, Hugh, but uh, let's uh, begin our uh, discussion this morning. Um, um, Professor Cowling, uh, uh, good morning to you. Good morning. So, um, relief for 244 people uh, brought back to Hong Kong from uh, Wuhan. What's your assessment of the way the evacuation has been handled? So these are people that have been in Wuhan now for six weeks, and I guess very concerned about what might happen given that there's been a lot of infections in Wuhan, although that's now tailing off. I think it's great to, to get them back and hope that the other uh, uh, Hong Kong citizens can be repatriated as well uh, in the near future. Mm. Um, so they're being taken to the uh, the quarantine centre in uh, Fortan for two weeks. Um, uh, two weeks is enough for for uh, the quarantine period. Yes. Yeah, so we we know that for if if someone's infected, most likely they'll show symptoms within four or five days, and then a smaller proportion will be a bit longer than that. And the maximum limit is about fourteen days. We've heard cases in China maybe a little bit longer than fourteen, but it's very very unusual, and it's not justified to keep people longer than fourteen days if it's one in every thousand, one in every ten thousand. That's a bit longer than that. I think fourteen days is a very good limit. And we're not only putting, asking people to go to quarantine if they've come from Wuhan, if also if they've come from other affected areas, I think we, we advise quarantine as well. It's a very sensible precaution to minimise the number of infections that are introduced into the community in Hong Kong. Uh, is it likely that some of the people will have 
the virus. Uh, given that the incidence in Wuhan's now gone down quite substantially, it's really low now. I I would expect not many of these would have would have effects. Maybe is, one or two. But is that because everyone's already got it? No, no, no. I don't think so. So I think that it was heading towards many people getting infected in Wuhan, but then the lockdown by the Chinese government asking everybody to stay at home for actually now six weeks. Many, you know, some people are now going out and about. But, but for the first two or three weeks, most people were staying at home. That's really a very effective way to stop transmission from occurring. You just get everybody in their own homes. But of course, then they're not going about their daily lives. They're not going to work, not going to school. So it's not a sustainable measure. Because, because a lot of people have assumed that, mm. you know, there's a lot of underreporting. And, yeah. you know, we had experts talking about 10 to 20 times. Probably. Yeah, I think that, that's certainly the case. But that's still, that's still far short of the population of Wuhan. So I think the way things were going, it looked like maybe a percentage, a small percentage of people in Wuhan might have been infected. And then obviously, as you said, you know, only 10% of those infections were confirmed as cases. That would be a reasonable ballpark. Uh, so they're still far short of most people in Wuhan getting it. I think only a small fraction of, of people in Wuhan would, would have been Would there be infected. any sort of immunity building up there? Uh, sure. I mean, the, the, the more people that get infected, then the more chance you have for herd immunity. But I don't think Wuhan reached the level of herd immunity. And of course, nowhere else has had anything like Wuhan. Uh, the, one of the worrying things for me is actually, we saw what happened in Wuhan. And we don't think that they really had reached their peak of infections and reached maybe herd immunity to stop a second wave. So although they've had a first wave in Wuhan, actually, they're still at risk for a second wave. And then the rest of China hasn't even experienced what, what Wuhan experienced. So they're still facing the risk of a first wave of larger impact than what we saw in Wuhan. Why would you get a second wave? Uh, because re uh, infections are being reintroduced constantly. We saw in eastern China the past few days there's infections introduced from Italy. I'm sure there's some from South Korea, maybe from other, some other countries in the region. And then whenever you pick up a, a traveller coming in with infection, for example, from Italy or from South Korea, you know there's another one or two that you've missed because we can't pick up every single traveller that comes in. Uh, so that's really the, the risk, is that there's introductions of travellers with infection that we don't pick up, and then they're able to spread. So actually fighting the coronavirus, you know, trying to, to slow down the spread of coronavirus, it's not only important to, to reduce the number of infections that come in, but to slow down transmission if there is infections in a community like, like what we're doing in Hong Kong. Coming back to Hong Kong, because a, a number of people are, are due to be released from the quarantine facility today. They've been on the Diamond mm. Princess cruise ship in Japan. So they're basically in the clear now? Yeah, I mean, I think we, we keep an eye out because, as we know from China, there's reports of one or two with very long incubation periods. That's kind of surprising. So we keep an eye on them. But I don't think it's fair to keep them in quarantine any longer. They've passed the 14-day mark. That's the established standard for quarantine. You know, that, that's the fair time to let them go. But obviously ask them if they do get some symptoms, then please tell their doctor, you know, three weeks ago they, they got off the Diamond Princess, mm -hmm. etc. Mm -hmm. uh, Kwok Kaki is, is with a Civic Party lawmaker. Uh, Dr Kwok, good morning to you. Uh, are you happy with the way that the evacuation has been carried out? Um, so far, for the uh, 244 uh, Hong Kong people uh, coming from Wuhan, I think the arrangement is acceptable. It's only that when I was seeing the um, clips, the video clips, when they are taking their land transport from their homes to the Wuhan transport, they were taking in a small van. They were um, a small van of seven uh, passengers, which is a little bit um, too crowded for me because we, we, we assume that, um, although we assume that uh, most of them will not carry the virus, but there may be one or two carrying the virus. So the best practice is still, still allowing a uh, 1.8 meters 
uh, clearance between each passenger, but it was it wasn't been able to achieve during the land transport. I was a little bit surprised that um, the authority in Wuhan um, uh, either they do not know or the Hong Kong government is not giving clear instructions. But the way that I saw uh, when they are transporting uh, from the with different villages to to the airport is a bit worry. But uh, when they are coming back from Hong Kong, they are going straight from the plane to the uh, quarantine center in Fortan, which is. Um, you know, a very uh, good measures, but the problem is not only light on the uh, less than 500 uh, Hong Kong people, which due to be coming back uh, in these two days, but there are still probably more than 2,000 uh, Hong Kong people still stranded in uh, Hubei, and not only in uh, Wuhan, but over the different villages and uh, uh, township of the uh, Hubei, they, they, they pose a huge problem and perhaps we need to think more uh, ways to taking back these Hong Kong people from uh, Hubei. Apart from using the airport in Wuhan, there are still quite numbers of airports uh, in the Hubei which is available for international flight number one and we have also, we can also consider to use a rapid railway as a special uh, transport measure uh, at one time only to be uh, transporting those uh, maybe large numbers of the uh, uh, Hong Kong people which extended in Wuhan. What about arrangements on the flight itself? Uh, apparently the passengers were able to take off their masks to uh, eat snacks on the trip? Uh, that was something which is quite strange to me also because, you know, it wasn't the, uh, you know, always we, we do not ask people to take off their masks when they're in a, a uh, environment, the indoor environment right on the plane. So, although there was some explanation from the government saying that, you know, they, they, uh, they are being uh, not able to eat for long hours, but I, I do not, sincerely, I do not think this is an acceptable practice. They can always take some food before they bought the plane, and I don't think it is an advisable idea. Professor Cowling? Ah uh, yes, sure. I, I think it's it's difficult for all of us to wear masks all of the time. I think what, one of the things we learn about coronavirus is that it spreads with prolonged close contact, not very transient close contact. So you know, if you walk past someone in a in an indoor environment or outdoor, and you just pass them, whether or not they're wearing masks, I don't think you're going to get infected that way. It's really the face-to-face -face contact for fifteen, thirty minutes or longer. So on the plane, if people are sitting apart from each other then I think it's okay to take their mask off. And the ventilation's very good on our plane with very good filtration as well. But, um, I mean, time will tell. If there has been transmission on the plane, we will find out about it. Oh, that, 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 that's important, of course, because I, I think some, some people might be a bit nervous about taking a plane because, obviously, it's a self-contained yeah. air conditioning system. But, uh, but, the, but the, 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 there is filtration, which, which takes bacteria, viruses out of the air. Yeah, so one of the things with coronavirus, we haven't heard of any transmission on planes. You know, we've monitored... Uh, we've identified infections in incoming travellers here and in other countries as well. Uh, their contacts have been traced, including the people sitting around them on the plane. And I'm not aware of any known infections that are transmitted on planes, despite people flying with coronavirus infection. So that's reassuring. But then obviously, we tend to avoid spending prolonged time in close contact with other people, particularly that we don't know. Okay, we, uh, okay uh, number is 233-88266. got a caller on the line now. Uh, good morning. Yeah, good morning. Oh, it's Mike. Hello, Mike. Yeah. Go ahead. I just wanted to uh, uh, educate from James Robb, who happens to be one of the best 
a, a virologist who's been studying this for since the 1970s. And there seems to be some ignorance as to why you wear a mask. This is not an airborne uh, disease. This is a droplet uh, transmitted disease. And how you transmit it, and the reason you wear a mask is so you don't put your finger in your own nose. You don't touch something and put your finger in your mouth. Because it can only be introduced by the nose and the mouth. Um, it is it is a lung uh, vector. I mean, the, the, the virus attacks the lung tissue. That's, that's it. And so to say, well, you take your mask off to eat might be dangerous. Uh, you, you don't, uh, you know, you don't have the full understanding of how this virus gets into your body. Okay, Mike, I, I thank you very much indeed for your for comments. Just, and if you've got the, any other questions, go Google uh, James Robb, uh, R-O-B-B, and, uh, and he gives you the, he gives you, he's been studying this, this virus since the 1970s. Okay, uh, Mike. Let's just get that confirmed with a with a medical. I know you're a dentist, Mike, but anyway, <laughs> Doctor Cock, is that oh, correct? What, 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 you think it's because it doesn't belong with the teeth? Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> what What has that got to do? What has that got to do with anything? Well, well be, because if we're going to, you're not an MD, so you don't so you don't know how viruses uh, uh, affect. Because if you're not an MD, then we can't allow you to come on the radio and give medical advice. That's a responsible thing to do. Oh no! I, I what I did was I gave you the name of the viral the the person that's been studying viruses for decades, and that's what his advice was. Okay, all right. Okay, okay. Uh, Doctor Cock is, is yeah. That... I think a lot of different people do have different advice on the how to combat the viral infection, but I think the first principle will be very important is to avoid, you know, crowded environment, wash your hands, wear a mask if you go to crowded environment. They are all very, you know, very sensible measures. But other than that, uh, there may be a numerous different ideas. I, I you know, from the medical evidence and I, uh, hence I can't, uh, I dare not to give, you know, fair comments on that. Okay, Professor Cowling? Yeah, sure. So let, let's talk about masks. Surgical masks were originally invented you know, 100 years ago to protect patients from the surgeons from infecting their wounds with the droplets from their mouths. But now they're very widely used in healthcare. We advise healthcare workers to wear surgical masks because it can protect them. Uh, the, the correspondent on the phone is correct that they can protect people from touching their nose and mouth and infecting themselves that way. But they do also directly protect you from inhaling the droplets and even the aerosols in some cases. So we know that, for example, if a healthcare worker has been in contact with a patient with coronavirus, if they're not wearing a mask, it's called an unprotected exposure, and that's worrying. But if they're wearing a surgical mask properly, it's called a protected exposure, and it, doesn't, it, it means they wouldn't need to go into quarantine, for example. So for all of us in the community, if we wear masks, we are giving ourselves some protection, but there's a right time to wear a mask and maybe a time we don't need to wear a mask. So for sure, if we're going into crowded areas, we're on public transport, Definitely a good idea to wear a surgical mask to protect yourself. We also know that for this particular virus, coronavirus, there's evidence that people can spread infection before they show symptoms. So by wearing a mask, if we were infected, then we're protecting the people around us from us transmitting to them. And that's a good thing for everybody to do. But then when we're staying at home, if we're working in an office that's quite spread out, we don't need to wear a mask all day. And one of the problems with masks is that they have a limited lifespan. So surgical masks are disposable. You're supposed to wear them for a few hours and then dispose them and wash your hands carefully. If we wear the same mask all day, 
we may be losing the benefit of so that So you can't mask. wear them all day? You shouldn't wear them all day because, I know, it's one of the issues where we have a limited supply of masks. So I think one of the things we've got to figure out is what's the right way and the best way to use the limited amount of masks that we've got. I've got a million questions about masks and I don't know if we yeah. want to go down that road, but can, <laughs> it just brings to mind, can you, can you like wear them for, a, if you wear them for an hour, one day, can yeah. you just put them aside and then pick up the next day I mean, and that's wear a them brilliant for, question. I think it's something that we need to answer. No, I, I understand. Is I that think, right? I think according to the, the rule them. book, we're not supposed to like you wear it and then you dispose it and you don't wear it for more than four hours but given we've got a limited supply i think that kind of question is one of the questions we need to answer urgently because it's one of the things that we could do to preserve our supply of masks i mean i think it may not be a bad idea but there's no studies on that. there's so no evidence bit, on that put it aside and then put, put it on again right right but certainly we shouldn't be wearing one mask for more than four or All five right. hours because it, it loses its functionality okay D dr kwok i mean do, do you accept that in fact in hong kong you know we've done pretty well and the government has done pretty well you look at our figures you compare to other places especially with the mortality uh you know fingers crossed and touching wood and everything we're doing pretty well and the administration is doing pretty well in in hong kong and arguably in china as well but let's talk about hong kong first do you agree now, Dr. <laughs> i i can't say how much uh actually is being supported and held by the government but i think one of the uh, observation i have in hong kong and people uh, the population at large or the public at large is quite mindful about the spread of the disease, so they automatically, you know, be very careful when they they avoid, um, you know, go to meals together. They they try to uh, stay at home if possible. We stop the school, which is very uh, good measures. We stop the uh, the visit of the hospital and also the elderly home, which is very important. But for the most of the people in Hong Kong, they wear a mask. They try to find a mask to wear. Uh, although there are a lot of different opinions as to whether United States or Europe, European, you know, require to wear a mask, but the situation in Hong Kong is quite different from the other countries. Um, we, we are normally living in a very crowded environment and we need to take public transport in most of the time. So when we're talking about, we, we, you know, you may not need a mask if you're living in the Midwest of America, you're not seeing any person, you drive a car in most of the places. In Hong Kong, we need to get in touch with others. Most of the time, if you go to work or you go to meals or whatever activity. So by wearing a mask in, you know, in majority of people in Hong Kong, washing their hands, you are able to stop the further spread of the infection. One of the very important things we must acknowledge is now we have already some invisible patient uh, in Hong Kong. You know, no matter it was coming from the from North Point or from the cruises. Uh, ship. There are already some, you know, some people who get infected, but they may not have fever or may not have any symptoms. But why it doesn't spread so, you know, uh, so large scale is because of the people in Hong Kong is quite, you know, really rigid in doing all this measure. I think we, we need to, you know, appreciate the effort made by all the people in Hong Kong. Okay, well, on, on that uh, very subject, uh, uh We've got a, an email here from Mr. Tang, who writes, um, the relatively no, low number of confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Hong Kong, in comparison with those of other countries, seem to suggest that the containment measures rolled out by the government are effective in preventing the spread of the virus. The efforts on the part of the administration are commendable, but Hong Kong citizens' vigilance and high level of awareness of hygiene resulting from the SARS experience are praiseworthy too. Now that epidemics are erupting on a global scale, notably in places including Italy, Iran, South Korea and Japan. 
It is time for the Hong Kong Society to work collectively and ponder how best to prevent imported cases by imposing stricter quarantine requirements and screenings at border control points. The virus doesn't respect borders or nationalities. New stories of citizens all over the world venting discontent with the way their governments handle the outbreak abound. For example, CNN has been heavily criticising the Donald Trump administration's lacklustre response to the virus crisis and the CDC uh, uh, there has come under fire for giving instructions uh, to release a woman in quarantine back into the San Antonio community only to test positive for COVID-19 later. In Japan, a quarrel that happened on a train which involved a middle-aged man lambasting a young man for coughing without wearing a mask was reported in an SCMP news story. Even the Japanese, who are usually calm and collected, are starting to lose their cool too. Their fear is caused by distrust of the uh, of Abe's cabinet, especially after their debacle in handling the outbreak on board the Diamond Princess. Um, uh, Professor Cowling, what about the global response? Yeah, I think there's been a lot of early focus on trying to stop infections from coming in, whether it's to Hong Kong or to other places, and protect us in our community from them from outside. But I think fairly soon we're going to have to accept that we're going to have to stop transmitting between ourselves. You know, there's always going to be some people coming in with infections, some silent infections, as we heard. We can't catch every single one. So really, we've got to think about how we can stop and slow down transmission in our own communities, whether it's Hong Kong or, or the US or, or anywhere. And that's really the next step for this pandemic. It's going to be very disruptive for months, I guess. What does it mean? What does it mean continuing with the kind of things we have now? Like exactly. So continuing places? with the social distancing, continuing to, to stay at home more, to work at home more. I don't know about the schools because we still haven't established whether children are driving transmission of coronavirus like they do for flu. But certainly the schools are closed and that's likely having some effect. But all of us staying at home more, not going out so much. Um, when we do go out, protecting ourselves by maybe wearing a mask, maybe washing our hands more. Um, you know, and then working at home, as I said. Do we have an advantage here? Because uh, we lived through SARS in 2003. Um, you know, we, we're used to containment measures. Uh, places like, say, the United States or, or the UK, yeah. um, um, it, it's, it's more of a sort of novel uh, problem. I think so. I think we've experienced this kind of disruption mm. before, not only in SARS, but also in some other epidemics in the past 15 years, in 2009 with the pandemic, and then in some years, the school closures experiences. We've experienced these kind of disruptions to our daily lives. And, you know, I think Hong Kong's doing very well. And the people of Hong Kong are doing very well to, to you know, reduce the potential for this infection to spread. We can't stop infections from coming in. We can't stop some limited transmission from occurring. But what we can stop is kind of widespread outbreaks like what we've seen in Italy, South Korea, and I think what we're going to see in the coming days in other European countries in the US. Uh, one thing is, and this came up during SARS, is, is there a, is there a, it seems like uh, we're a... Um, uh, 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 this kind of disease often starts in this region, often in China, even in southern China. Uh, is, is there a particular reason for that? Is it something to do with the climate? Is it something to do with the population density? Is it something to do with the eating animals? What is it? Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of viruses in animals around the world, whether it's China, Indonesia, India, probably in Australia, there's a lot of nasty viruses. They don't always have the chance to infect humans. You know, if there was a nasty coronavirus in a bat in the middle of Australia, it's got no chance to infect humans. But in China... If you get the bats into the wet markets or you get animals that have been in contact with the bats, wild animals, into the wet markets, you really increase the risk that one of these nasty viruses can make the jump to humans. And if you give it enough chances, if you give these kind of viruses enough chances, they're going to take one of the chances. So I think in the future, 
in China, certainly they've got to think seriously about stopping the, the, the consumption of wild animals in so wet markets. So it's seriously about consumption of wild animals? That's why I mean, so we've seen, many diseases we've seen start so, here in We've Hong seen Kong. so many infections China. In, in China from uh, wild animals because viruses in animals don't normally infect humans. But if you give them enough chances, you know, one of them's going to have the right kind of combination of, of genetic code that it can infect humans and then can spread. Okay, and how do you rate China's, uh, the way that China has dealt with it? So initially slow, initially mm -hmm. slow to pick up that it was spreading from person to person. It was only uh, third week of January that they really realised that. I remember the WHO had this meeting about whether it was a public health emergency or not. And at that point, we were still thinking it might not be transmitting between humans. And then within the, the week after that, it became clear that it was. That was slow. But then after that, they moved very, very quickly to shut down Wuhan, shut down some other cities. Unfortunately, it's too late. But I think even if they'd done that one or two or three weeks earlier, it would still have been too late because infections would have already escaped the cordon uh, and, and spread outside initially of, of Wuhan and then, and then to the rest of the world. What we're seeing now is it's very difficult to contain this virus, very, very difficult. And, and now, of course, the, the trade in wild animals and the consumption of wild animals has been banned in the mainland. Yeah, but that happened after SARS as well for, for like a year and then it was back again. So we've got to keep our eye on that. OK, just a couple of comments uh, from listeners. Uh, before we end this uh, part of the discussion, S says, like other countries, what the Hong Kong government should have done is to close borders immediately and then bring the Hong Kong residents in a controlled manner, which they are finally doing. The protest actions by medical workers made a huge difference. That uh, comes uh, from uh, S. Uh, Drake says, there were no smartphones back in the days of SARS. Mind you, studies had shown that the surface of smartphones have more bacteria than toilet seats. So apart from frequent hand washing, wipe your phones. That's the advice uh, from Drake. Thank you very much indeed and more on on the mask question as well mo says my question is about i think dab legislator and chang said steam masks again and reuse can we uh it comes from mo let's get the answer after the news at uh, nine o'clock we say goodbye for the moment to dr kwok thank you very much indeed kwok Kaki joining us the civic party lawmaker uh the weather briefly before the news now at nine o'clock it's going to be mainly cloudy today with a couple of rain patches cool this morning temperatures today up to 20 degrees 17 degrees the latest with a relative humidity now of 89%. I know him well. He's a very spiteful guy. He's very upset. Uh, he made a fool out of himself, to be honest with you, and it's, uh, he's not too happy about that. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Thursday morning with Jim Gould and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're continuing to talk about uh, quarantine efforts and in general about the uh, government's efforts to uh, control the spread of the coronavirus in, in Hong Kong. And also we can talk a little bit more maybe about, about the mainland uh, uh, as well. Uh, and later we're going to also going to be talking about the results of the Super Tuesday voting with the Chair of Democrats Abroad uh, in Hong Kong. If you want to comment on anything, best option, give us a call, 233-88266, or you can email backchat at rthk. Dot hk uh, or you can comment on our facebook page as well uh, a lot of emails uh coming in first of all as promised um we've had an interesting kind of pair uh from um andrew and uh matthew this is andrew f okay the story so far. All right, Andrew F. says, Just a quick response to Matthew, who emailed the programme yesterday to say that I'd written hundreds of emails, quote, attacking anything and everything democracy-related from the middle of last year, unquote. First off, I've indeed written numerous emails recently, as have many others, of course, including Matthew himself. But I'm uh, not sure I'm into the hundreds yet. I think it's possible he's lumping mine in with at least another Andrew who regularly emails the show. As for me supposedly attacking anything and everything democracy-related, please reference one single email out of my supposed 
identify as many hundreds. Well, I'll do this. I'll wait, Matthew. My recent emails have condemned many of the actions of the radical protesters, including silencing others who disagree with them through dishing out savage beatings, sabotaging railway lines, petrol bombing MTRs and court buildings, attacking police officers with acid and murdering one old man with a brick while dousing another in petrol and setting him alight. All actions, I would remind you that the pandems, civil rights front, etc., have yet to this date to unequivocally condemn. You seem to be conflating democracy with mob rule and, I'd argue more recently, flat-out terrorism. Not that it's really relevant, but my own political persuasions are aligned with Ronnie Tong, which is why I support his party, The Path of Democracy. I took part in many of the June the 4th candlelit vigils since I came to Hong Kong 30 years ago, marched against Article 23 and supported the Occupy Central Movement of 2014. Perhaps you, you, Bowen, Alan, Peter and I should all go for a beer sometime. Masks optional. That's from Andrew F., and um, uh, this is from uh, Matthew, uh, who says, uh, it seems that since mid-last year, it's been difficult or impossible for Backchat to get guests from the pro-Beijing side on the programme to discuss topics of the day alongside pro-democracy leaders. Now we always seem to get it's quite marginal pro-Beijing players like Holok Sang, with Hong Kong's real pro-Beijing leaders being replaced on the programme by a lineup of anonymous new regular Backchat email correspondents like Andrew K, Andrew F and Richard. I assume the withdrawal of actual pro-Beijing leaders as programme guests and their replacement by this new arrangement was a deliberate, coordinated response made by an authority like the Central Liaison Office and will unlikely be reversed any time soon. However, while I generally enjoy the emails of our new correspondents, I do really miss the live, on-air interaction between pro-Beijing and pro-democracy side. Therefore, as a substitute, I'm wondering if Backchat can consider trying a programme where you invite a few of the more active Backchat correspondent characters onto the programme to discuss debate issues live with each other. It would be great fun and very interesting to hear listeners like the Andrews, Richard, Drake, Bowen and Tom exchanging views. Any chance? That comes uh, from Matthew. Matthew and Andrew, well, you're, you just give us a call. You can do this any time you like. Both both call us at the same time. 233-88266. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. That's what it's all about. And then everyone else can, can join in uh, rather than um, uh, everyone else and wondering who those people are uh, having a beer together. Uh, um, and I'm also Serious note, um, Sherman, uh, in an email uh, from yesterday, says, Dear Backchat, thanks to like... This is in response to yesterday's discussion about policing. Thanks to thanks to like violence-endorsing journalist lecturers like Tim Hamlet, journalists are losing public trust. I'm not convinced by Hamlet's argument that the police were at fault for carrying out their duties. Hamlet basically expressed support for the acts of planting bombs, fake or real, as long as the real ones didn't explode, it's not terrorism, according to him. Of course, he couldn't care less about the safety of the Hong Kong public. He wants people to get seriously hurt or die first before we have the right to express legitimate concern for our own safety. No one has yet been killed by bombs. Should we thank these criminals who have been planting them for their mercy? No wonder some Hong Kong journalists act like thugs and criminals, smear the good name of professional journalists. They have good teachers like Hamlet to cover for them, good teachers who don't have the guts to commit the same offences, to spare themselves of the consequences. These good teachers egg on impressionable youngsters and students to do it for themselves. Journalists are losing public trust. Some Hong Kong people even have nicknames for rotten journalists. They should be held to a higher standard than acting like operators of rumour mills and libelous attacks 
on law enforcement. That comes uh, from Sherman. Once again, our email address is backchat at rthk.hk. Uh, we're joined uh, for this part of the programme now by uh, Benjamin Cowling, Professor and Head of the Department of uh, the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at Hong Kong U. And uh, now Dr William Wu, who's a consultant at Hong Kong Emergency Medicine Centre, uh, been trained in aeromedic retrieval and transport. Uh, Dr Wu, maybe we'll start with you. Good morning to you. Hi, good morning. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us today. Well, it's my pleasure. Uh, what, do you, what do you make of the, uh, the evacuation that, that happened yesterday, the removal of people from, from Hong Kong? There's more happening today. Do you think it was done right? Uh, you happened with the quarantine arrangements and so on? Well, uh, I'm amazed that the government can uh, arrange such a uh, massive repatriation uh, program. It is not easy um, just uh, to take the people back from Hong Kong by air. Actually, it's a massive operation. It's not just uh, the flying the people back. It's also involved in uh, uh, grouping, grouping them from various, sometimes remote places, and uh, then uh, traveling them uh, back to Hong Kong. The quarantine process, actually, they are well thought. They uh, space out the people on board and take all sorts of precautions, although nothing is 100%, but uh, it's better than uh, nothing. And it is uh, really... Amaze, uh, amazing operation. And as I understand it's still carrying on and hope that it will be a, a great success. Uh, it's, it's rather late compared to other countries. Uh, it seems everyone else in the world has already kind of evacuated their, their nationals uh, from Wuhan. Um, any thoughts on that, Dr. Wu? Well, um, you can say that it's a little bit late. Uh, I can't dispute that. But think about the, the, the whole process. In For most countries, their citizens usually um, will just uh, concentrate mainly on the city area. And for Hong Kong people, there are thousands of Hong Kong people that spread out all around the country. And even in, in, within the Wuhan, uh, there are villages well, that the people from other countries might seldom go to that remote part. And to gather these sort of people into uh, the Wuhan city and then to the airport. Actually, it's not an easy task. And yes, it's a, a little bit late, but uh, you think about the whole process. Actually, it's quite reasonable. And what do you think about the uh, quarantine facilities uh, here in Hong Kong in Fortan? Well, uh, I'm living to death, and, uh, but um, it's a wise choice to find a place that is, is not... Uh, close to, to any uh, major population and they, they, they gather all the people and uh, have some specific uh, team of, of healthcare workers to look after them. I Personally, I've never been to that facility, so I, I really can't comment about the, the interior and, or the facility inside. But it's a good move, actually, to gather the people into our quarantine centre. Okay. Okay. Our email address back to rthk.hk. A lot of e- a lot of emails, um, um, particularly on the kind of mask issue and uh, uh, and so on. Okay. Rick says uh, this is on masks. Uh, the WHO says they're a waste of time. If we have cold or symptoms, maybe this guy is confusing the issues. That comes uh, from Rick. I think that's in reference to uh, Professor Cowling. Um, yeah, what about what, what about on the masks? Um, there was a question before nine o'clock. We said, can you steam the mask and reuse it? 
what's what's the answer on that, Professor Cowling? Can okay, you so re- for, for steaming mass, I don't think that's a good idea. There's there's absolutely yeah. no evidence that that's really a sensible idea at all. Probably it degrades the mask and and reduces its effectiveness potentially quite substantially. Uh, in terms of the WHO recommendation on masks, that's right. The WHO say that masks should be safe for healthcare personnel because they do work for healthcare personnel. Obviously, there's issues of training, and we've seen photos from around the world recently, like from Italy, people wearing masks around their mouths but not covering their noses. We've got to be careful about wearing the mask properly, but they do work. Uh, the WHO makes it clear that face masks are recommended for all healthcare workers in contact with coronavirus patients. I think the reason that the WHO would not recommend them for general use in the community is because of the supply issues, that there's just not enough masks for everybody in the world to wear them all the time. And we want to prioritise the healthcare workers to get the, you know, the masks they need to protect themselves when they're saving our lives in hospitals every day. OK, here's, here's an interesting email. This is from uh, Bob, um, who says, uh, Hi, what's the problem with eating wild animals? Before humans started farming, all animals were wild, and our ancestors, being omnivores, ate them. If those wild animals had infected our ancestors, we would not be here now. That comes from... Well, Bob. I mean, it, you know, in ancient times, everybody lives in small communities very separate from each other so if there was an infection from a wild animal into that community and then there's you know some people getting infected and even potentially dying it wouldn't have a chance to spread around the world whereas today we're highly connected so an infection that occurs in china maybe in december of 2019 or earlier has already spread to multiple countries within six weeks uh you know that's really the difference between the ancient times and now we do know that there are infections of Uh, domestic animals of chickens we get avian flu there's also some infections in cows which can spread to humans we don't usually have a lot of close contact with the animals that we eat and one of the other issues is that it's not a good idea to have a lot of close contact with domestic animals whether it's pigs or chickens or cows and in general we don't but then of course in china they also have you know live market live poultry markets and where you can go and and have close contact with chickens and that's how h7n9 caused so many infections in 2013 to 2017. So it's not only wild animals, but I think reducing human contact with wild animals and domestic animals is generally a good idea. Okay, Bob, I hope that answers your, your question. Uh, if not, uh, give us a call. Nice, nice that you're listening. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, okay, um, let's see. Alex says, Alex likes to write in a kind of pigeon. Uh, Alex says, at works I face public. Like, unlike useless civil servants work who work home lately, I'm not behind glass wall, isolate from Hong Kong people who Hong Kong government consider being paddy-filled, peon, filthy virus reservoir as we all go China communist party not allow border close i handle cash my employer locking staff toilet making employee use public toilet using most by taxi and minibus driver soap in toilet water down so much dispenser empty as soap leak out before end shift no chance work home hong kong third world hole for blue collar workers curry lamb wanting killing us you know my talkings that's the experience of uh, Alex. Thank you very much in, in, indeed for that. Drake says, may I ask, what actually happened to Italy? It wasn't a mass infection within a sect like the case of Korea. Uh, what happened? Do you know what No, I, I mean, we presume, we presume that maybe in mid-January there was a, a traveller infected, maybe didn't realise it, maybe mild symptoms, went to Italy, and then slowly infections spread. Uh, we know that in China the, the daily number of cases doubled about every week. So it meant if last week... There were five cases. Today, there's 10 cases. Tomorrow, 11, 12. Next week, 20. You know, it doubles. The number of new cases every day doubles. So in Italy, if it started like that in 
mid-January. Now we're early March, six weeks later. You can imagine there could be thousands of infected people just from an initial seed of one, two or three infected travellers. Is it not over, but are we past the hump in China and Hong Kong? Not at all. Not at all. There's really a long way to go. This pandemic is going to be very disruptive for months. Um, you know, uh, many countries are going to really suffer from, from the impact of, of infections all occurring in a short space of time and then people needing to go to hospital, but maybe hospitals not having enough capacity. It's going to be a major problem for many parts of the world. But, but, in, but here? Well, in Hong Kong, I mean, we're holding it off. So the actions that the government's taking... But we've the got to keep doing taking, that. Right, if we want to hold it off, we've got to keep doing the same kind of things. And that's the disruption. So I, I, you know, I think there's really the quandary is to what extent can our lives continue to be disrupted for another three months, another six months to hold off you know, mass infections. If this was flu, we'd be hoping for a vaccine to come and then we can all get vaccinated and go back to normal lives. For the coronavirus, I don't think there's any chance of having a vaccine within the next six months, even the next 12 months. So, you know, how are we going to how are we going to manage? So it might be it could be six months. Uh, no, I, mean, I think this is going to be disruptive for quite some time to come because, you know, infections are only starting in other countries. What we've seen in China is nothing like what, what could happen in some other countries. China clamped down on, on the infection. So it was only really Wuhan that had a large outbreak, a large epidemic. Other cities haven't yet had it. And other parts of the world, what we've seen in Italy, South Korea is really only the start of what could be another month of increasing numbers of cases, increasing number of uh, illnesses, hospitalizations. And, you know, that's when you start to see the health impact, when there's more and more infections piling on top of the hospitals already being full up. Uh, uh, Dr Wu, do you have any thoughts about how this is likely to develop worldwide? Well, I agree that um, the disease is far away from over. OK, it's just starting in many parts of the world. Uh, China seems to a little bit stabilize, but um, now we can see that all other countries start to have uh, doubling the number or even tripling number uh, every day. So um, it will be a nightmare. Uh, and I don't think it will stop within the next two or three months. Mm. Uh, and- is, is a, how's business? I mean, <laughs> if we can put it like that, are there a lot of people, you know, who are using emergency medical evacuation around the world now? And, well, um, people stop flying around. Okay. Okay. Uh, it it uh, affected the whole uh, business and uh, people stop traveling and stop. Uh, well, uh, I'm doing medical repatriation. I can now see that there are less and less cases actually requiring the medical repatriation. However, sometimes later, some of these people may got the, the uh, disease, especially the, the, the pneumonia, somewhere else out of their country, and they have the problem, and they have problem to get back to their home country. And we are now experience, start to experience this sort of problem. People in, in Japan will have caught the disease, and, and now we cover then there's no way for them to get back because the airline refused to uh, take them back. Okay, some some uh, interesting uh, emails. Uh, Mike, uh, again, uh, says 90% of virus transmission is, is hand to nose and mouth. Normal, normal surgical masks does not stop direct water trouble droplet transition. I'm sorry your guest is misinformed. Your N95 gives you the best protection from direct spray. Your masks protect you from sticking your own finger up your own nose full stop. This is an unconscious action. If you think your blue mask is protecting you from a direct spray, you are being misinformed. Coronavirus originated in snakes.
Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, Nick uh, has uh, says your caller Mike just mentioned Professor James Robb, uh, and uh, he posts um, uh, some advice uh, on the virus from from James Robb. Uh, that's uh, R O B B. You're, you're welcome to uh, Google that for yourself and, and find out. Uh, and uh, this is from Jay um, from a, an article from Bloomberg. Um, Bloomberg. So took, uh, yeah, this is saying that um, the Hong Kong U Department of Microbiology has been investigating um, the fecal oral route to try to understand how the virus spread so quickly in Wuhan. Possibility of viral plumes from squat toilets is likely. Uh, on the Diamond Princess, one infection uh, spread to 706 in a short period. Uh, investigations are going on as to whether the aircon system, ship sewage system, uh, uh, accelerated the infections. Um, the WHO... Uh, Sorry, I'm trying to edit this as I go. The virus enters the body via a nose and mouth and is approximately 100 nanometers uh, in size. Uh, okay, WHO's Tedros has been criticized for bending over backwards instead of castigating China for delivering yet another coronavirus epidemic on the world, which is easily explained by the fact that China is now the second largest overall donor to the UN for the period 2019 to 21. Okay, um, Professor Cowling, should we be worried about the uh, what, what are the implications if there is a fecal oral route? Pets is another one. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested that, that we had a dog that was confirmed to be infected in the last few days. I mean, that's fascinating. We haven't heard of that before. For, for Didn't it happen for with SARS? I, mean, I think there were cats, maybe, not dogs. Um, but, I mean, we still don't know whether the dog would be contagious. We worry that maybe. And then if he doesn't have any symptoms, what if other pets somehow acquired infection? You know, it's a concern. But as I, as I said earlier, I think we, we've got to think about how we can prevent all of us from transmitting infections to, to all of us you know it's, it's it's really anybody could be infected you or me could be infected we want to stop as much as possible opportunities for transmission so it means mixing less going out less working at home if we can um you know but it's going to be very disruptive and, and do you do you think that you who have done a good job uh, i think there's you know some things they've done well i think it's now time to call this a pandemic um i, I think that they've encourage countries to look at containment because China has been able to contain infections successfully. They've ended their first wave, but it looks now like some countries are not going to be able to contain spread. And that means that we're not going to be able to contain global spread because if some countries are having epidemics, then they're going to spread infections. It's unavoidable. Even if we close the borders to the north, we can still have infections coming in from the east and the west and the south. And if we close all the borders around us, north, east, south, west, I think it's, you know, it's, not, it's not feasible to do that for months and months and months and we're going to face importation of infections again and again and again we can't stop it even we screen travelers really really carefully there's always going to be some that slip in so we've got to concentrate on how we can reduce transmission in the community and keep transmission as low as possible okay well thank you very much indeed for for joining us dr william Wu, consultant at hong kong emergency medicine center uh, trained in error medic retrieval and transport thank you very much indeed dr Wu, for, for joining us today and thanks to professor benjamin cowling uh, head of the division of uh, Epidemi epidemiology and uh, i always get that wrong and biostatistics at the university of hong kong we look forward to you returning as well we'll hold you to your promise to to come back uh, another time because there's, there's many many questions that uh, our listeners have on uh, on the spread of the uh, disease uh, 
in Hong Kong. So I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us now. Comment on Facebook from uh, Tom. This is related to our discussion yesterday again. Tom says yesterday's uh, was a great discussion. As a government supporter, I do appreciate that the consistently protest-supporting Hong Kong free press does stick to factual information and does not give time to fake news, such as the Prince Edward uh, allegations. The fake news that many other news media outlets repeat dogmatically as if to prove the famous Goebbels truism. Uh, who threw out the it's not an actually it's not actually a Molotov uh, comment? This is something that uh, Tim Hamlet said on the programme yesterday. That's more like the local style of circular anti-government logic, something like finding tiny errors in math formulas to prove their case that I'm used to hearing from the anti-government movement comes uh, from Tom. Those thoughts there, that's uh, on Facebook, uh, as ever. You, anything you put on Facebook, everyone can read it, and uh, it's a good way to uh, further the discussion. Uh, I do recommend that, of course, or giving us a call. Finally today, we wanted to turn, as mentioned, to um, the result of the Super Tuesday uh, voting uh, for Democratic uh, uh, Party nominees for the presidency, uh, and other votes as well, with Nicholas, uh, Nicholas Gordon joins us now, Chair of Democrats Abroad. Um, Nicholas, good morning to you. Good morning. morning. What, what do you think we learned from the uh, from the vote yesterday? Well, you know, Super Tuesday, it's a big day in the electoral calendar. About a third of the delegates, uh, pledged delegates, are apportioned in that day. Um, and, you know, Democrats all over the country had their say in states as diverse as Alabama, Virginia, California, Texas, my home state of Massachusetts. Um, and so it's the first kind of big national contest. And, you know, you saw... You saw some candidates uh, do do very well. You know, Joe Biden won a lot of states. Bernie Sanders won some states. Um, we saw other candidates not do so well. This is how the process is supposed to work. As 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 the party and, and Democrats across the country kind of look to see who is going to take the nomination uh, in in the election this November. Um, but of course, it's, it's not over. We've got we've got primaries next week and in the weeks to come. And you know, I'm going to plug our own primary here very quickly, and that. Our primary, the Democrats Abroad primary, is still going on. And next Tuesday, uh, we have voting stations tonight in Petticoat Lane and Central on Sunday afternoon in Delaney's and TST. And you can vote by mail, email, and by fax until Tuesday. Who, who can vote? Uh, any, American living, any American living overseas can vote as long as you're 18 by Election Day. Mm. What, do you, what do you have to do? Show, show your passport? Uh, or do you, do you, or do, you, do, you, do you do you have a, da a database that you use? Or? But, we'll, yeah. but we will confirm yeah. people after mm. after the fact. We lean toward ease of ballot access, um, given how difficult it can be to reach American expats. So, um, but yeah. just to you know, show up, register as a Democrats abroad member, and submit your ballot. And then, of course, it takes time to go through all the ballots and make sure that people are who they say they are. But so, uh, Nicholas, so we're now looking at a two-horse race, yeah. I'm not going to put any probabilities on that. I'm sure there are conversations in, in, in the other campaigns about what their path forward is. Again, this is how this is supposed to work. You obviously saw a lot of, a lot of candidates have that conversation in the past few days. Uh, but, I mean, I, 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 I assume that, that, that a lot of clarity will be had uh, about kind of who's going to continue going forward in the next, you know, few days so how significant has this clarifying effect sure of, of course yeah yeah, yeah naturally uh, uh, how significant is it now that uh, michael bloomberg has uh, given uh, his backing to joe biden well i mean i think this is again this is kind of what was happening you know candace drop out they they decide you know where to 
who to endorse, um, who they think is, is the best choice going forward. Clearly, uh, Mayor Bloomberg thinks uh, Vice President Joe Biden is, is the is the is is the best option out of those available. Um, I'm sure uh, you'll see other politicians put their head in towards other candidates. Um, and of course, as people drop out, every kind of musical chairs, everyone kind of jumps around and says, "Okay, I endorse this person. They're not anymore. Who left is who left should best carry the torch." And again, this is just how how this how this all goes through. I, I again, you're, you'll see you'll see some of this as, as the as the race narrows down, as people kind of look at who's left and say, "Okay, now of these two or three, where should I? Who who deserves my endorsement?" I mean, Bloomberg said uh, he was supporting uh, Joe Biden because he thought, uh, you know, he was the uh, most able candidate to um, unseat Donald Trump. I mean, is that the way most uh, voters would think, or would they be uh, voting, you know, supporting the person that they thought had the best policies? I think. I mean, I think at this point, um, you know, uh, the thing that that unites um, basically almost every Democrat is uh, is 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 a dislike of Donald Trump and the administration and their policies. Um, we are all united on that front. I think there are, there are obviously disagreements about kind of which which path, which which policy framework may be the best way forward um, between the various candidates. But but in the end, you think you know when when it, when it when we have a nominee, in the end, uh, I think Democratic voters will say we are all any of these candidates will move the country in the right direction, whoever the Democratic nominee is with the country in the right direction, and that direction would be uh, getting President Trump out of the White House in November. They're both so old, <laughs> Nicholas. They're both really, really old, aren't they? Well, I mean, that's a, that's, you know, I think, I think there are, there are, after the fact, I think, obviously, the political scientists will come in and they'll say, okay, here's what happened in the structure of this primary to maybe lead to that outcome? Um, I'm not a, I'm not involved in those discussions, so I will not proclaim one way or the other to make it better. Um, but again, like these 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 processes do change and the rules do change, and as time goes on, obviously there are discussions about how best to change the how best to reform and adapt the primary process to better reflect the realities of of America. Um, you know, I could probably guess that caucuses are not going to be as popular next time around. And maybe seventy something is the new fifty something. Yeah, you know, we're we're a big tent. <laughs> old and old and young are all welcome. So, all right, who, who's going to win? Oh, you know, I can't say anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just I mean, who do you think, as a betting person, who's more likely? Do you think? Well, I think. Uh, so I, I think the very thing about it is kind of is kind of they've both candidates and sorry, Vice President Joe Biden and Senator Bernie Sanders, let's say have have different theories of the case. Um, you know, Vice President Joe Biden, I think is is, is pushing for uh, generally, I think his base is, is is more is more moderate, more suburbanites. Um, Senator Bernie Sanders is, is is looking towards young turnout. Um, he's actually doing very well amongst Hispanics. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, I think that's probably the best way to look at it is kind of look at look at the states coming up, kind of see who where the where the populations are, see see what the media narrative is, and kind of go from there. But also, this is so changeable. I mean, remember last week, where everyone <laughs> all the conclusions from last week are no longer no longer relevant. So who knows if this week's conclusions will remain accurate next week? 
Okay, well, Nicholas Gordon, many thanks for for joining us uh, today, Chair of uh, Democrats uh, Board. That's it uh, for today. The weather forecast before we go, many cloudy with a couple of rain patches. Cool in the morning, temperatures up to 20 degrees. Today, the outlook, cool mornings with a couple of rain patches. Tomorrow, warm during the day with a bit of coastal fog as well. 17 degrees now, and the relative humidity is at 89%. To prevent pneumonia and respiratory tract infection, avoid travelling to places with pneumonia outbreaks. If you must go to these places, don't touch animals or eat game meat. Avoid visiting wet markets, live poultry markets or farms. After returning to Hong Kong, if you have a fever or other symptoms, wear a surgical mask, consult a doctor promptly and reveal your recent travel history. Always maintain personal hygiene and keep both hands clean. For details, visit chp.gov.hk. 9.32, the news now with Samantha Butler. Italy is shutting all its schools and universities until the middle of the month to try to limit the spread of the coronavirus. Authorities announced 28 people died in the past day, taking the total to 107. Mainland authorities have reported 31 more coronavirus deaths, bringing China's toll to over 3,000. There were 139 new cases. The billionaire businessman Michael Bloomberg has dropped out of the race to become the Democrats' candidate for the U.S. presidency in November's election. Mr. Bloomberg has endorsed his fellow moderate, the former Vice President Joe Biden, who's emerged as the frontrunner after his success in the Super Tuesday primaries. And scientists have published the first assessment of the role of climate change in the bushfires, which recently devastated large areas of Australia. Researchers say global warming boosted the risk of the hot, dry weather that's likely to cause bushfires by at least 30 per cent. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, great interpreter of Beethoven. As well. Oh, so shy, quiet and retiring doggy council co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is really for adults, it's not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. The side of what's happening behind the lift. Good morning. Inter- interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. And welcome to Thursday. It's The Morning Brew again, and I'm Phil Whelan. We're doing it until 1. Thursday means commentator Steve Vines will be with us at 1010 from an undisclosed location in his house. Just to see which horseman of the apocalypse has decided to pop into town for a cup of tea this week. Do join Steve via video on Facebook Live if you can, or of course in Steam, and email any comments you may have, morningbrew at rthk.hk. Dr. Dave the Vet was with us the other day this week, so he's going to return next Thursday. And after 12, our wine expert JC Viennes will also be with us in Vino Video, so you can ask him any questions you may have in real time on Facebook Live. 